Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're going to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Uh, could you ever imagine from, I think it was like episode one or two that I initially said to you that Cassie made some decisions. Yeah, it's been, it's been, yeah, since the very beginning. Yep. And look how far we've come. This book is really a testament to how far we've come. Like, I mean, like, the last few books have been pretty intense. Mm-hmm. But, like, this one is... It, like, it had a very different feel from the past few books. Like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically about, like, Axe's and Rachel's books, where they had to do these, like, pretty terrible things. It's just a different kind of feeling with this book, I think, just because... Of all of like the the moral ethical questions, like there were moral ethical questions in in all of the other books, but like this one is just so much more, like I don't know, there's so much more like kind of hypocrisy almost, and like the, yeah, the ethical struggle is a lot more intense, I think, in this one. Yeah, and and like acknowledgement of the hypocrisy as well. Yeah, yeah. Which I love. Like, I think if this was just like, oh, I suddenly flipped and I'm like this now, it would have been like, whoa, this book is like way out of left field for Cassie. But this was very much a like, oh, yeah, where do I stand? (laughs) (laughs) I have so many feelings and I don't know how to reconcile any of them. Oh, my God. This book. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Let's credit our, our ghostwriter here. Yeah. It's Kimberly Morris. She did uh, 48 The Return. Okay, the Rachel book. Yeah, the Rachel book. She did uh, The Arrival, number 38, and I think that's it. She just did those two. And I I will say right now, I think she did the best job with Cassie as a character overall. Yes, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's the Rachel book she wrote, one of my favorite Rachel books. And she, that last scene is peak... Animorphs, one of the best scenes in Animorphs. Absolutely. But, like, the whole tone of this book, she just, she hit it really well. And it's such a different tone, too. Like, I I don't think I would have necessarily thought it was the same person, because it's just, like, wow, it's, like, night and day. Like, just... Yeah, it's... She she killed it, though. Yeah. She really knocked it out of the park. I think I was feeling a little bit about this book as I was without... With, um... Tobias's previous book like Mm -hmm. the beginning was really rough for me and like it was kind of hard to get into Uh, really yeah I don't even know I don't even know why I don't know why either this one I couldn't put this one down I mean I think just because of the content in it because there's like so much kind of like 
conflict in the beginning. There's so much of just, like, people snapping at each other. Nobody's getting along. And everyone's having these, like, Mm. feelings. And I think, I don't know, maybe just that was... I don't think it was badly written. I think it was just, like, kind of hard to get through for me. I don't know. No, that's true. It was... It was hard to read in the sense that, like, it's, like, you feel that they're, they're having, it like, so much friction within the team. And I think, like, it's hard to read because you really feel that when you're reading it. Like, you're coming out of here and you're kind of squirming and being like, ugh. Like, Squirm. Yes. That's, come on. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's an accurate kind of depiction of how I felt. Um, yeah. Especially in the beginning. Just, like, it was a weird tone, but I think that's what the intention was. It wasn't, oh, yeah. I wasn't, like, oh, taken yeah. out of the book. I was just kind of like, oh, I don't like it. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with that. And that's, like, that's why I couldn't put it down, because I was, like, I, I was super uncomfortable with everything that was happening, but, like, I was so compelled to keep going. And because, like, I think a big part of that was we just, we never get a lot of Jake, like, as we've said, for the last 49 books we never get a lot of jake when we're in other characters books Mm -hmm. and this was probably the deepest study of jake from another character's perspective that we've ever seen yeah and it was really compelling to read yeah but very uncomfortable it was and i think the other thing that was aggravating me was because i knew like we were gonna find out something and I was just, like, waiting for it and waiting for it. And I was trying to pick up any hints I could. And I was just, like, hyping myself up the whole book. And then, like, the last seven pages. I know, it happens, like, like the very last scene. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I needed to just let it wash over me instead of just being like, ah, constantly on edge. <sighs> but whatever. Uh, yeah. This was intense, for sure. Um, any last first thoughts before we start recapping? Um, I don't think so. I guess we can just get into it. I will say, though, that because I have been hyping myself up for the past two years slash 60 episodes, Mm -hmm. the twist at the end is not what I expected to be. No? Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm really excited to talk about it because I, see... We'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah, like I said, like that's all I wanted to say in the beginning, um, because yeah. I think we need to talk about it at the end. But like, uh, it's just not what I was expecting. And I'll tell you yeah. what I was expecting later. I, guess. I can't wait to hear what you are expecting, and then I can't wait to tell you how I feel I want about to, it. I want all of your feelings. I have a lot of them. Yes. <laughs> I just have a lot of feelings. I just have a lot of feelings, and I just want to get them all out. Okay. Okay. Cassie dove into a trench, the sound of Draken fire over her head. She sees Marco running across the camp, creating a distraction so she has time to morph. Cassie tries to concentrate on the roach morph. She can hear the hork approaching above her, but all she can see is her mother's face when she morphed in front of her for the first time. She can't seem to focus on this roach morph. She tries, and she starts to morph, and then her dad's face appears before her, and she's completely distracted. She cannot focus, and then she hears Jake's voice saying, hurry up, telling her to move. Cassie dug down and focused as best she could. She finally got through to this roach morph. She could smell the spices planted below her, and that's to guide her in her morph to the pipes. And so she scurries down there, she runs in, she runs out the other end, she pops out into this daylight and begins to demorph. 
When she's fully human, standing in front of her is a gorilla, a tiger, and a grizzly bear. And Jake immediately starts in on her, saying, Seconds count, Cassie. And that's when Toby informs them that everyone in the compound was dead, including them. Dun-dun-dun. Chapter one. Oh my god! Yeah, that was... I mean, it was okay. The opening wasn't the most compelling, but it was still pretty, like, twisty. They had me going for a minute. It it had me going for a little bit, and then it was like, oh, okay, she's not really invested in this battle, so... It is interesting, though, that she was having troubles morphing even during the drill. Yeah. Because I'm assuming she knew it was a drill. Yeah, totally. So that's probably why she was like, oh, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Oh, maybe, yeah. Because it never happens again in this book, not to spoil it, but like it never comes back. That's true. Um, So Jake sarcastically thanks Toby before asking if anybody had come out of the drill alive. And Toby just kind of goes, let's just hope the Yerks don't launch an attack anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like Toby in this book, actually. Me too. This is probably the best Toby that we've seen so far. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Cassie hadn't waited for the signal to demorph, and nobody had been quick enough to get out of life. The adults needed too much protection. There was all sorts of problems going on with who is supposed to be where and people knowing their cues. And then Cassie takes the time to explain, of course, why she was a cockroach and they were practicing a war drill and how it happened. Construction site, Elfangor, blah, blah, blah. This is probably like the most detailed introduction we've had in a while, which really struck me as weird at this point in the series. But then she like really nicely wraps it up with this whole thing. Like, and then after the construction site, when we were just kids, we met up with Axe, who was just an Aris with just like a cadet. But, you know, that doesn't really fit any of us anymore. Yeah. We're all kind of, like, beyond that. Yeah, like, we're not kids anymore. Yeah. And I loved that wrap-up. <laughs> because we've heard from Axe, like, you know, in his book when he owned it and said, like, oh, I, I have more experience. Like, I'm probably not an Aris anymore. Yeah. So it was nice to hear. Well, not nice. But it was something to hear Cassie say, like, I think we're kind of adults now, basically. Yeah. So Cassie continues on about how there's this conversation going on between Jake and Toby where Toby's mentioning like, oh, we can dig in the pipes, you know, and somebody asks if they're going to fill up with water and Toby goes, yeah, we'll fix that. And Jake doesn't really ask anything. He's just really uninterested. And Cassie's like thinking of all these situations like, oh, well, will the pipes be able to withstand attacks and attack? Like, you know, can they chew through cement? Who's going to fix the water issue? When will it be done? And she mentioned that Jake didn't really ask any of these questions. He just kind of said, okay, accepted that Toby would deal with it. And like, he's just not like Jake right now. He's not really being a leader right now. Then Rachel just bulldozes her way into this conversation. She's like, how come everybody was too slow? How did this happen? Why is nobody on their game? What the fuck, everybody? (laughs) And like, well, she's having this meltdown. Tobias and Axe like wander over, leisurely stroll over there. Tobias is in his human morph. And Jake is like pushing back saying like, "What, what do you want me to do? What the fuck do you want me to do about this, Rachel? And she's gearing up to argue. And so Marco lets out this like loud whistle, you know, the pinky fingers and yeah. the, uh, yeah, yeah. I wish I could. See, so lets that. out this loud. Me too. I can't. <laughs> but he lets out this loud whistle to break up the fight. He basically is just like, "I'm done with this shit. This drill is over. Let's get the fuck out of here." And Jake follows him. And as soon as they leave, Rachel turns to Cassie and is just like. How could this happen? Why did everybody fail at this? Why is nobody focusing on the mission? And Cassie, like, immediately zones out from Rachel's bitching and is just like, I love my friend, but, you know, Rachel doesn't really cut anybody any slack, and sometimes it's just too much. 
And then because she's ignoring Rachel, she hears another conversation happening nearby, and it's her own mother who's arguing with Horkbisher. And so she basically just, like, walks out while Rachel's talking. <laughs> I was like, what the like, fuck? <laughs> Bye. She's just like, yeah, I, I don't know, Rachel. It's real bad. Bye. <laughs> I didn't even, like, get the impression that she said anything. I thought she just, like, walked away. Yeah, I think friend. she just walked away while Rachel <laughs> was, like, was talking. She was just like, I'm out. Poor Rachel. <laughs> Uh, oh man yeah rachel with that look on her face like what the fuck everybody (laughs) (laughs) oh man so it's cassie's mom she's telling off the horkbizure who are building this temporary shelter that's supposed to house people that can't fight like old people young people invalids that kind of stuff and cassie's mom is going there's not enough ventilation in here there's not enough room and she turns to cassie and cassie's like mom knock it off and she's like there's not enough room to support these animals. And Cassie's like, Mom, they're not animals. They're sentient creatures capable of knowing what's in their best interest, just like all of us. And this is a temporary shelter. And her mom kind of makes a snide comment like, yeah, okay, like I'll be the judge of how sentient they are. And then she's like, okay, but like there's not enough ventilation. We could die in there. And Cassie just goes, yeah, Mom, we could all die. This is a war. Death is going to be a part of it. Some of us are going to die. And Cassie's mom like gasps, audibly gasps like holy shit and like looks at her like i don't even know what my daughter's saying to me right now and cassie just kind of turns and walks away saying she hated that she did that she hated that she felt she had to do it she hated this war all of this was shitty everything sucks we super fun super fun open yeah so then cassie (laughs) i know right super fun so then Cassie heads off to find Marco because she's like, he is the one person in this group that's analytical. He's surely thinking of a plan. This is going to be the my, this is the straws that I'm grasping onto. And she finds him whittling. And she's like, what are you doing? And he goes, you know, Cassie, it's the almost lost art of whittling where you just carve wood. <laughs> and then he says, like, people used to do it on the old homestead. And Cassie's like, what? What are your parents doing? And he's like, ah, they're trying to mount a drake and beam to the roof of their cabin. Those two. They're so romantic like that. Fuck Marco. <laughs> he's and so Cassie's fucking chill. Like... He's acting like he smoked a whole bowl of marijuana. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's so fucking chill. And I didn't understand. I just need that isolated clip. He's acting like he smoked a whole bowl of marijuana. That's the pull. That's the pull for this episode. All right. I don't. That intonation was just flawless. <laughs> Everything about that was perfect. Okay. He smoked a whole bowl of marijuana. I mean, he's lying on a stump whittling, and I imagine he's, like, starting to speak in, like, a southern drawl a little bit, like, well, Cassie, I'm talking about... Sorry, everybody who has a southern drawl. I'm sorry, other Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Your beautiful southern drawl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, he definitely started speaking with a southern accent, because the next thing he said is, like, Cassie's like, the Yerks are probably out looking for us. As we speak, and Marco goes, I reckon they are. And I think it was him saying reckon that snapped him out of this. And he was literally like, whoa, whoa, I, what the fuck am I doing? I've gone like, too far. Shit. <laughs> I said reckon. That's where I draw the line. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, yeah, he literally throws the shit over his shoulder and, like, walks away. And he's like, all right, what can we do? What can I do? Can, can we plan? Are we fighting? Are we doing a battle? Can I lead the hork and work songs? <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> 
Um, but they're interrupted by a cry from the edge of the camp, and it's uh, a, a warning cry. And so everybody immediately goes on high alert because they are not ready for the year. They just failed this drill very badly. Right. And um, Marco's mom kind of peeks out of the cabin, and I think she says something like, what should I do? Uh, but everybody just ignores her, and Marco kind of grabs Cassie's shirt and tugs her towards the trenches, saying, we got to go. This is the drill. Let's do this. And just as suddenly as they're ready to go and, like, get into their positions, they hear the all-clear whistle. And a second later, two hork appear, dragging Naomi, who looks pissed as fuck. And she tried to sneak away again. And Rachel is the one that, like, zeroes in on her and is like, what the fuck, mom? Why do you keep doing this? Are you trying to get us all killed? Do you want us all to fucking die? Because that's what this shit's doing. And Naomi's like, this is inhumane. How could you do this? What are we, some kind of a cult where we can't leave? And Rachel just doubles down. She's like, if you keep this up, we're all going to be killed. No one can help you now. Not the police, not the CIA, not your partner, who's probably a yerk. Being a lawyer means nothing here. You have to fucking follow the rules. And Rachel went so hard that her mom looks like she might start to cry. And she calls her mom useless, which is, I think, pretty nice. I would have been harsher. <laughs> well, I mean, she didn't say, like, you're useless. She said, like, your law degree is useless. So it was yeah. it was more like an inference. But I don't know. Cassie was like, I think calling your mom useless is a mean thing to say. I think it's a pretty nice thing to say under the circumstances. Uh, anyways, uh, Rachel's sisters are stupid whiny babies and they run over to their mom and they're like, we don't think you're useless, mommy. And they're crying already because they're useless too. Oh my gosh. And, uh, <laughs> Tell me all your feelings. <laughs> I didn't know I had these actually until I started summarizing this, but I, I was really, I think this goes back to how well this is written because part of the point of this is like the parents are not adjusting well right. at all. Right. And we're supposed to see that. But in my head, I'm like, can you just figure it out, though? <laughs> figure it out. Like, it's, it's, exactly. Figure it out. It's annoying to me that they can't figure it out. It's obviously annoying to all the animorphs that their parents, like, don't get it. So, it's, I think it's written well enough that I feel secondhand annoyance that the fact sure. that they don't get it. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah. So Naomi's trying to pull herself together and she like she's going to threaten the Horkbizer. She's like, don't touch me. Don't touch anyone in my family. And if you do, then I'll and she just kind of like trails off. And it's that moment where it really hits her like she can't do shit. There's nothing she can say to Aww, these Horkbizer. That was such a good little moment. It was amazing. Like the slow realization that like, oh, this we this is it. Yeah. I have no power here. Yeah. And that's when Naomi broke and started crying. And Ava was the one that stepped forward. She wraps an arm around her and just says, okay, like, let's go talk. Let's get out of here. And this is, Cassie just leaves the situation. She's like, no, I'm out of this. So she goes to find Jake and she goes, Jake, you got to talk to Rachel. And Jake goes, I've talked to Rachel. I've talked to her again and again, and I'm done. I'm not talking to her anymore. She won't listen. It's not my problem. And Cassie's like, you have got to lead. And Jake just lost it. He's like, I'm not fit to lead. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I keep fucking up these decisions. I don't know what you want from me, but I'm not doing it anymore. And Cassie keeps pushing on him and like saying like, no, this is your job. You are the leader. You have to do this. And then finally she goes, stop being a coward. And Jake spun around and he was like, what did you call me? What did you call him? 
<laughs> exactly. I had the exact same reaction. I was like, what? Exactly. Oh, no. How could you? And uh, she said it again, though. She goes, you're being a coward and you need to lead. And Jake goes, do you want to know why I'm the leader? Because one time, a really long time ago, Marco said I was. And so I have been. But I'm done. I am just as lost and confused as all of you at this point. I don't have any advantage over any of you. I don't know anything. So how about one of you guys lead for once and tell me what to do? And he just was like, my term's over, and he walks away. Uh, 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 uh. Uh. Oh my god, I just, I love that there's this added stress of trying to keep all the families sane and safe, and that the adults Mm. who are, you know, presumably, allegedly, you know, much more capable at real-life situations are just, like, completely fucking helpless. I mean, not completely, but, like... yeah. I mean, but yeah, they're useless. Yeah, and so the kids, <laughs> like, it makes total sense that the kids are, like, you know, unraveling a little bit because they've got this added stress of trying to protect their families and their families mm-hmm. aren't adjusting well. And oh my God. Yeah. And, like, they're, th- this is the thing is they're adjusting too because as much as they're handling this so much better, they have also just left their homes and everything behind. Yeah. So it's, like doubly, triply, quadruply stressful for them. Yeah, and uh, I do love that Ava like decided to step in and help Naomi because, like, yes, she is. You know, she's been through the most trauma, basically. Um, and I, I do like seeing all the parents kind of interact with each other, like coming up as well. Um, yeah, Ava is one of the MVPs of this book. Really understated, but like, yeah. just played brilliantly in this book yeah and fucking this scene with cassie and jake oh my god like there are so many scenes with cassie and jake that were just like like intense but yeah yeah oh just like i know like we see her her manipulation coming back which i don't think we've seen in a while we have i swear we have not like yeah even when she has been taken actions that were like manipulative, she's stated it like in most of the books, it's almost like it happened in an overt way or it happened in a very conscious way. Yeah. And this was like, this was like back to like a long time ago when she was getting really like kind of snaky and like, yeah. and she acknowledges it this whole book. It's not like, yeah. you know, oh, it wasn't, like, nailed right, you know? It, no, she acknowledges it. Yeah, when she's trying to get through to Jake, she's, like, trying different things on him and being like, okay, that didn't work. What if I do this? And it's like, oh, my God, this is so upsetting to read. I, the worst one was, well, we'll get there. Yeah. It wasn't even with Jake. It was with, you know, other characters that were introduced to in this book. Yeah. And it, oh. Oh. <laughs> like... You're sup- I was just so mad. I was like, how dare you call Jake a coward? Like, you know he just lost his family, and, like, you're supposed to be the understanding one, and you supposedly feel so bad for- Don't call him a coward! Like, don't. Yeah. And she, like, in this- When she called him a coward, she said she immediately regretted it. So I don't think that was part of her manipulation tactics. And, like, the fact that anybody- could call Jake a coward is just laughable. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I did get really mad um, when Rachel yells at Naomi and Naomi starts crying 
And then Cassie has this little inner moment where she's like, well, that was really mean, Rachel. Like, how could you do that to your mom and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you just did the same thing to your mom. And I know you feel bad about yeah. it. And now you're probably just being like, oh, Rachel shouldn't do that because I did it. And now I'm like deflecting a little bit. But like, yeah, I was I was mad about that. I was like, I you know what I liked better than like that part was maddening. But the part of that whole interaction that I really liked was when Cassie goes, oh, great. An adult is going to cry. Oh, and there's yeah. nothing worse for a kid than watching an adult cry. Absolutely true. Oh, my God. Oh my god, even now, anyone who's older than me crying, I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Look at the time, I have to go elsewhere. (laughs) Oh, your dog just died, I'm busy. sorry, bye. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, bye. (laughs) Like, welcome to my nightmare, adults crying. (laughs) I remember being a kid, I hated when my mom cried. Like, I absolutely just, like, it made me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was like a really rough scene to watch from Cassie's perspective. She definitely like, she was really harsh on Rachel. This is back to the old, like, I'm not really feeling that they're friends at all. Kind of a. Well, don't worry. Thing. Cause that continues throughout this book. <laughs> oh, good. I was afraid they'd become close by the end of it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> I weep inside. Oh, it's okay. Rachel will bring it back. The only one who has actual emotional intelligence in this relationship. (laughs) I don't really mean that, but you know. Okay. Anyway, so Cassie tries to pull a fast one by telling everybody that Jake had called a meeting for that night. And then she tells Jake like two minutes beforehand, by the way, we called a meeting. Surprise. Thanks. (laughs) Yay. And she expected him to be really pissed, but, like, he really was just nothing. He was like, oh, okay, whatever. So they gather around this small fire, and Cassie takes this moment to, like, look around. And we get these beautiful vignettes of all of the characters. (gasps) Yeah. It's so good. Oh, okay. (laughs) So it starts with Jake. And he's just silent, arms crossed, standing alone. And then we get Marco, who's looking up at the sky like this has nothing to do with him. He's, like, zoning out. We see Axe, who's kind of back away from them. He's not right up next to the fire with the rest of the team. He's, like, alert to everything and hanging back. And then Tobias and his mother. (laughs) No, poor Axe. Um, Tobias and his mom are sitting right next to each other, like, right next to each other, off in their own little world. And so even while they're there at the campsite, they're, like, not there. And their little shoulders are touching, and I... And their exploded. shoulders are touching. My heart exploded. It's cute. It's very cute. And it's Toby who finally breaks the silence. She's like the only hork that's kind of stepped forward. And she goes, Jake, why did you call this meeting? And Cassie goes, well, it, actually, it was me. I lied. I said Jake wanted you guys, but I wanted you all here. And she says she wants to take this time to clear the air because they weren't acting like a family or a team. And Naomi immediately goes... Why are you lecturing me? Who are you? Who the fuck are you? Who even are you? (laughs) Who even are you? (laughs) And Naomi then tries to get all of the parents to mutiny. She's like, you know, Walter and then Cassie's mom's name, who I forgot to write down. (laughs) Cassie's mom. Ava. (laughs) Cassie's mom. It says her name. I didn't. I forgot to write it down. and I forgot it. I said I'd remember it in my head. And then I didn't. Um, But yeah, she's basically like. Come on, we're being lectured by kids. Let's get out of here. And Rachel tries to shut her down, and Naomi just like, 
This enraged me. Naomi looked at her and she goes, when did you get so arrogant? How can you act like this? And I just got so mad at Naomi. (laughs) I was like, excuse you, lawyer of the year. (laughs) But yeah, she like acted really like really mean towards Rachel. I think probably she was embarrassed from earlier, but whatever. Everybody's really uneasy. They're all at each other's throats. And Cassie's dad, Walter, his name I do remember, um, he kind of tries to, like, reason. He's like, what do the Yerks even want? Like, can can we reason with that? There, there must be something we can do. Everybody can, like, you know, everything can be resolved with a conversation. And Jake speaks for the first time, and all he says is, our souls, if they don't already have them. Aww. And... It's like this really kind of brutal moment. And we get this beautiful fucking cinematic scene of Jake standing up in the middle of this group. Just this exhausted, ragged kid that doesn't want to be here. And he just, like, very tersely just is like, Viseron wants total control of the Earth. He won't stop until he has it. And Cassie's dad says, oh, Vizzer, there's like more than one Vizzer. And uh, he's like, can we approach them? Can we talk to them? And this is when Ava goes, no, listen, there's no approaching them. There's no talking to them. Vizzer one will kill us unless he's thinking straight. And then he'll torture us first for information before he kills us. And Naomi then like does this 180 and she's like, listen, I have three girls to protect and I want them, you know, they're alive now. I want them to be alive at the end of the war. What do we do? And Ava goes, you respect the authority on this, and you respect the soldiers. And Naomi's like, okay, well, Ava, you were on the front line. You went through this. You have experience, and you are old enough to drive a car, so I'm going to follow you. And Ava, very, like, just fantastic in the scene. Ava goes, there's only one person Visor One fears and respects, and that's Jake. We have to follow Jake. And this was just fucking beautiful i love ava i love ava too and at that moment walter cassie's dad approaches jake and puts a hand on his on his shoulder and he goes it's not fair to lay this burden on jake like you know we can't do this to him and jake looks like he's about to cry and the whole world of this campsite gets sucked on to jake everybody is hyper focused on him because if he starts crying, it's going to send all of them into this screaming mess and just break everybody. And it felt like an eternity that every single person was watching him, like, with breath held. And finally, Jake lets out this really long sigh, and he says, Unfortunately for all of us, I am the best qualified for this job, and I'll do it if you want me to. It's not fair, but life isn't fair, so I'll do it. And it just turns into this vote where, like, people's hands just shoot up, like, you'll do it. I I agree. I agree you'll do it. And the final person to put their hand up is Naomi, who kind of, like, half-heartedly raises her hand, like, okay, fine. And Jake addresses them all, saying, like, you know, as you know, life isn't fair. And Naomi interrupts, and she goes, well, what are you going to do? What's the plan? And then she has the wherewithal to kind of look ashamed of herself, and Jake doesn't react to it the interruption he just says our plan is to keep us all alive that's it and he just kind of sticks his hands in his pockets and says i'm just gonna try to keep us all alive 
And Cassie was like, well, if this was the ending of a movie or like, you know, Braveheart, something like that, we would have all cheered and made some show of solidarity, a chant or something. But this is reality. And all we did was stare at this exhausted, sad kid who looked like the entire world was on his shoulders. And Cassie felt like this was entirely her fault. How could you have called him a coward? (laughs) How? I think I would have hated Jake so much. If he was the type of leader in these books that was like, follow me, I'm blah, blah, blah. This is, like, just incredible. Yeah. Like... I just, I love it. He was, like, so... He was, like, almost so vulnerable, but so strong at the same time. Like, he was basically just like, yeah, it sucks, life isn't fair, I hate this, but I will do it. And I just... Ah. Exactly. Like, exactly. He's so strong because he's showing that vulnerability. Yeah. And he's like, acknowledging the entirety of the situation. Yeah. Instead of just being like, oh, it's fine. I, I can do it. It's fine. I can't show weakness. Which is, like, such a departure from, like, early on when he's like, I can't show weakness. Yeah. <sighs> it's like, this is how you tell the transformation into a true leader. Is that he can show and acknowledge his weakness and then say... But I also know what I'm doing, and I'm willing to do it. I love Jake so much in this book. Oh my god, me too. And Cassie's dad was so sweet, because he was also like, like, I know you lost your, your family, but like, I just want you to know you're part of our family. And I was just like, oh. Yeah, it was so sad. And like, it's there's so many times in this book where there's little details thrown in, like, you know, the kids all break up to go to their family's cabins, and Jake trails Marco to his family's cabin. Like, oh, yeah. there's so many little moments of, like, dagger in the heart. Yeah. So bad oh. for him. Oh, my God. Me too. But also, like, he is so fucking strong. Yeah. And, like, I, I just, I want to keep acknowledging how strong he is being and so much of this book is cassie going like jake isn't being like how we expect him to be anymore and i think it's just it's a transformation of him through cassie's eyes and i love it yeah all right so here's where we get into the second arc of the book (laughs) (laughs) so jake calls a private meeting of the core animorphs and he informs them, we can't go on like this. And everybody's like, oh no, duh. (laughs) Big surprise. (laughs) You called a meeting for that? Okay. (laughs) Um, And he's basically like, the the Yurks know who we are. They're looking for us. They know exactly who we are. They have all the information on us. And they've tightened their internal security. And they can tell that because the Chi are no longer coming up with any information. They have no contact into the Yurk Peace Movement anymore. Uh, their main, we find out their main contact throughout this has been Mr. Tidwell. And obviously now that they're all not in school. Yeah. He must have known something went down, but they lost their contact. And uh, Jake goes, it's time. It's time to bring more Animorphs into the fold. And Marco's like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> it went badly. It went very badly. And Rachel's like, yeah, no, my dude. Am I the only one that remembers David? Hello. And Cassie says so fucking bluntly <laughs> that she asked Rachel point blank if she killed David and Rachel would never tell her. She goes, she just, she won't tell me whether or not she did it. She won't say anything about it. <laughs> Yeah, which was, like, 
what an intense callback. I mean, it's not even a callback. It's a direct mention of the last book. (laughs) Yeah. She definitely killed David. So part of me, so like the way this like scene was written was like, they had to kind of like go back and like explain who David was and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Which is like, they have to do because like you said in, in the last book, they have to do, they have to make sure that anybody could just pick up this book and like not be completely lost. But, like, how do you think that scene would have gone down if they hadn't had to do that? I, what I would have loved to have seen and that I think would have been perfect would be just a hint that Rachel has confided in one person what she did. Like, Tobias is who I would like to see. Where, like, Rachel's like, am I the only one that remembers David? And everybody else kind of is like, oh, fuck, yeah. And, like, there's just one small gesture from somebody that's like, yeah, oh. I know what happened. And it still doesn't have to reveal whether or not she killed him, just how badly it affected her. Yeah, like. I would have loved to have seen that. Like, Tobias, like, shifts uncomfortably or something. Or, like, yeah. has some sort of involuntary kind of reaction. Or, yeah, like. Yeah, or just, like, steps closer to her, like, he's gonna, like, back her Oh, yeah, oh, that would be perfect if he just, yeah, just kind of inches closer to her. It's like, oh, my God, Alex, you broke my whole soul on my heart. I'm sorry. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to break you. Okay, sorry. I just wanted to. Okay, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Back to what we were doing. Um, Yeah, so they're, they're talking about, that and then they briefly consider bringing the hork on and like having them morph and like it was almost like a cartoon moment because they're all looking at each other like the hork and there's a pause and they're all like nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> um and it, cassie does mention it's because of the brief period where the animal brain is trying to take over they didn't think most hork would be able to kind of overcome that so um then they mention, like, hey, what about the parents? And it literally is just like, wow, I don't think the parents, because you know what, Cassie? Your parents are bigger tree huggers than you are. And Rachel, I didn't think this was possible, but your mom's more of a loose cannon than you are. And Rachel's like, hey. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Um, and then Marco's like, my parents have done their time. My mom, obviously, we all know. And my dad, in his own way, was tortured. And Tobias is just like, I, I don't want my mom to have to go through this. Like, yeah, she can morph, but she has memory problems. Hasn't she been through enough? And, like, Jake takes this beautiful moment to, like, say, hey, man, like, don't worry about it. And, like, comforts Tobias. Like, we're not going to make your mother do anything. Like, mm-hmm. it's fine. Which I thought was really sweet in this moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that they called that out. Yeah, and it's like he easily could have been like, oh, my God, Tobias, like, calm the fuck down or something. Like, he could have, like, you know. Yeah, like, obviously we're voting no, it's fine. Yeah, he could have snapped at him, but, but no. like, maybe because he still has that, like, residual guilt over, like, Tobias becoming a Nothlet, like, maybe, I don't know. Or maybe he's just a good, good boy. I think he just has a real soft spot for Tobias. Oh. And it was, like, I mean, obviously he does, right? Because, yeah. like, when Tobias was getting swirly, yeah. he, you know, fought the bullies, and it's just nice to see it's still there in some form. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start talking about how to get around this controller thing. Like, okay, but when we do find whoever we want to bring on, how do we get around this? And Tobias is like, ah, I know who. And after a second, Cassie's like, ah, kids with disabilities. Um, and even though Cassie's the first one to say it, as soon as they start talking about it out loud, they're like, yeah, they're not like respected by people and <laughs> aliens think they're useless oh and it's like and then cassie's like what the fuck guys 
<laughs> oh my god. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of points in this book where I'm just like, ah, <laughs> shit. And like, okay, so it's so funny because like, not funny, that's not the right word, but like, it, the kids are just so like, it's insane how people like don't respect people that are like differently able, and they use like terminology that I don't remember hearing consistently until like recently, right? like differently abled and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, this is so far ahead of its time. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, they're like, of course, like, you know, differently abled and blah, blah, blah. And aliens are like just assholes, obviously. Like, you know, Axe gets a lot of hate for the whole Veckel thing again. And um, they just they're having all of these conversations and like. It's just crazy how, like, the kids are like, yeah, of course we can bring them on. They'd, they'd be great fighters, and the Yerks wouldn't have touched them, so they're safe, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then Cassie, of course, is like, well, all I can picture is them demorphing in the middle of battle and some helpless child laying on the ground with no way to escape. And Cassie's like, nope, we can't do this. This is not good. This is inhumane. Nope. And they're like, well, Cassie, this is your idea. And she's like, I know. And now it's a bad idea. And I hate this. Uh, But then she looks at Jake and she notices that he has some of that old fire back in his eyes. And he's becoming more of himself. And she goes, I didn't like it. I didn't like that this was what was bringing him back. And he's like, Jake starts going in on her and saying, like, what I mean when I talk about us fighting is like all humans, Cassie. This is a battle for Earth, and the differently abled have just as much right to fight as we do. So why don't we bring them on board? And even Cassie's like, okay, I logically, I can see this. And she almost has this split in her mind at this moment where she goes, I'm thinking like my mom. I'm thinking like her and the Horkbajur, where I'm thinking they need to be protected. I, I need to, like, you know, I need to think for them. But what I really need to do is to give them a means to join this fight, to give them an outlet and a way to do this. And my job's not to help them and consider them helpless, but to help them help themselves survive. And so she kind of reasons her way around it like this. And then Cassie goes, okay, like, I don't like it, but already Jake has ordered Marco and X to go find a likely candidate for kids they could recruit. And he told Rachel and Tobias to go to the camp, keep everybody calm, don't let them be assholes. Mm-hmm. And he, she's like, I can't stop it at this point. Like, this idea has gained traction and it's out of my control. Um, and yeah, and then she takes a moment to observe Jake and notices her Jake was back. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like why it's happening, but her Jake is back in this moment. So what I thought was interesting was that they all vote on it and Mm -hmm. Axe actually votes. Yeah, me. I found that so interesting too, that he actually gave his opinion. Yeah, I was really shocked. I was like, oh, he didn't say I will follow you, Prince Jake. He actually said like, yes, let's do this. And I was like, oh. Wow. Yeah. And I wonder why, too. Like, was it because he's feeling comfortable enough to get his own standing? Was it because he's been with the kids long enough that he feels like, okay, like, this is how they operate and he's kind of habituating to Earth? Or was it because he and Marco have butted heads so much over Veckles and differently able, blah, 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 that he's like, I need to put forth that, like, I understand where they're coming from and I'm on board with this? To, like, show Marco that, like, you know, I'm not just dismissing this and I've grown as a person. Yeah. There's so many reasons it could have happened, I right? I know, and I kind of wish they had drawn more attention to it. Even just kind of a one-off comment, like, oh, Cassie was surprised. Axe never votes. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, it was just so, I don't know. It could be anything. 
It could be anything. It could just be that like they're fracturing so much. Yeah, Axe is just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Marco and Axe find a really good candidate. It's a rehab center for kids, and they're like, all right, let's go. Um, at this point, another big problem they're facing is that they can only send parts of the team at a time because they always have to leave some of the team back at camp to protect mm-hmm. the families and Horkbusher in case anything happens. So we see a fractured team as Marco, Jake, and Cassie head out. Axe had broken down the morphing cube for them, and they all fly with a little piece of it in their little talons. Cute. And Jake informs them, we're not taking the direct route in case we're being watched. And Marco's like, oh, that's really fucking dumb. And Jake just shut him down. And he gives Cassie this look, like, be on high alert. So they go this circuitous route. They land behind a bike shop where they demorph. And Cassie's like, well, we're wearing tatty biking clothes. And despite the Jake book that we have just apparently canonically taken out of the series because <laughs> we both hate it. Um, Cassie mentions they cannot morph shoes, even though in that book they said they could. Which, so fuck that, <laughs> fuck that book. Yeah, I believe this book over that book. So canonically, they still cannot morph shoes, but they can morph slightly bulkier clothing. Okay, so fine. I'm down with that. Sick. Although, <laughs> <wah>! um, <laughs> although I, th- I thought she said something about like. We could morph bike shorts now. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they already knew how to morph bike shorts. Because I'm pretty sure Marco has always worn bike shorts. But whatever. It's fine. Yeah, I assumed they meant like, oh, we can morph like a few more tight layers. Something like that. Like, oh, we could we can have pockets now instead of like skin and <laughs> spandex. We can, you know. So uh, their plan is to steal some bikes. And by steal, they meant they may need to return them, but maybe might not. But we don't know. And Cassie basically freaks the fuck out. She's like, my heart was beating harder than it had in any battle. And all I was doing was stealing some bikes. But like, this is where she draws the line. (laughs) Is that petty theft. (laughs) And then there's a funny joke about Jake asked Marco how to steal bikes. And Marco's like, how dare you accuse me? Uh, But you just kind (laughs) of do this thing. (laughs) Yeah, you just like ride away on it. (laughs) Oh, shit. But yeah, so uh, they go to steal the bikes and somebody in the bike shop shouts Andalites, rebels, and just starts shooting at them. And they like take off and they're like, oh, yeah, we kind of forgot that everybody and their mother is looking for us now. And so they hear like car doors slamming behind them. So Jake yells, get out of the street. They go into an alleyway. They ditch the bikes. They morph cockroach. They go through something into a shop and demorph and... They manage to get away, but just barely. And as Cassie is demorphing inside of this shop, she comes face to face with this redhead and almost screams before realizing it's just a wig on a mannequin and they were in a costume shop. Mannequins are terrifying. I don't blame you. Mannequins are terrifying. Yeah, I would scream. (laughs) I too would scream. (laughs) Uh, So a short while later, they're like, we could try to demorph and leave. But that would suck. We could try to go here and leave. We could try to do this. But instead, what they do is they notice that there's a troop of theater idiots in there. And they're <laughs> wow. like, let's join them. <laughs> Tell me how you okay, feel about theater is- people. <laughs> I like theater people. The reason I described these people as idiots was because of their dance number that we find out oh, about sure. coming up soon. <laughs> I thought that was the dumbest thing. Like... Who co- oh, I'll complain about it in a okay. second. Give me a okay. minute and I'll complain okay. about it. Yeah. Uh, Marco dresses up like a magician. Cassie dresses up like a, a fortune teller. 
Jake dressed up like a beat poet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so anyways, it turns out that these theater kids are about to go perform at the very rehab center they're trying to break into. And so they just kind of like join this group and they leave the building. They go to this theater or the rehab center with these theater kids And as soon as they walk in the door, it's like there's a bunch of little kids that just are like, yay, people are here. (laughs) And like they launch into a fucking dance, like just right away. Like enter, dance. What is this, Glee? (laughs) This is the worst. Oh my God. Okay, so the best part is like as soon as it's choreographed, like this is the situation that (laughs) Jake, Marco, and Cassie were not prepared for. And Cassie's like, I just stay towards the back. And like, they, she mentions they're doing like a step, 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 step. And Cassie just kind of like step, step, steps, and then keeps going out the door, like dancing out the door. <laughs> that was the funniest fucking shit. But <laughs> oh god, they're so good. It was so good, but it gets better because a second later, Jake and Marco join her, and Marco's like, "Great news! I have the perfect morph to get the kids out of here when we find the ones we want." And he reveals he grabbed a pigeon off the street, <laughs> like just scooped one up. And I know what you reader are thinking right now. You're thinking, "Wow, that would never happen." Let me tell you, <laughs> it does. <laughs> How do you think Marv got oh here? My God. <laughs> Yeah, it was just the funniest fucking thing to have Marco just be like, and I'm a magician. (laughs) And then he's like, they're like, Marco, where the fuck did you get that? And he's like, "Eh, it had a hurt wing and I just picked it up. (laughs) I feel like I've seen you grab a pigeon off the street, though. Yes, you probably have. I've done it more than once. That's like your party trick. (laughs) (laughs) That's why my coworker in Mexico called me a witch because I went up to a pigeon in Mexico and I held out my hand and it like came over to my hand and was like pecking me and like hanging out and he's like she's a witch (laughs) they dressed me up like one (laughs) anyway anyways (laughs) it's a fake nose okay so um, about now Jake is like this feels wrong and bad this feels bad and wrong it feels badong badong (laughs) (laughs) and he's like we're we're out like let's let's bail this isn't gonna work i don't like this and marco's like no dude listen before i listen to you but right now we risked a lot to get in here we're never gonna get this chance again we have to move And Cassie agrees with Marco, and so she spots this pile of magazines, and she's like, okay, we got this. She grabs them, she hands them to the boys, and she goes, let's go. So they get into this elevator, and there's a doctor who approaches them, gets in the elevator with them, and smiles, like, really brightly at Cassie. And she smiles back, and even as she's doing that, she's like, is this guy a yerk? And then he says to them, hey, on the fifth floor, there's a bunch of kids that are kind of your age, and they may want somebody to hang out with. You might want to try that. And then the doctor exits the elevator and Cassie hits the fifth floor button and Jake like has this freak out. He grabs the door like slant, like holds it open, won't let it close. And he goes, what if this is a trap? This guy's trying to trap us. And Marco and Cassie are like, yeah, dude, it might be a trap, but like we've been in worse situations before. Like, let's do it. So they get to the fifth floor And when they get out of the elevator, the only thing they see is a common area full of very somber teens, many of them in wheelchairs. 
and they approach them, but they don't really know what to say, so instead, the kids took it upon themselves to antagonize the newcomers. <laughs> One kid just, like, zooms out of the room, like, just hits his wheelchair thing, and is just like, fuck it, I'm out, <laughs> as soon as they approach. <laughs> Uh, and Cassie's like, was it something we said? And one of the girls is like, no, he just wanted to see your, he just didn't want to see your shit magic tricks. (laughs) And this other kid who has severe cerebral palsy and can't talk starts saying something and he's like stuttering so badly and they're just standing around so politely like, what do we do? What do we do? And they're like waiting for this kid to like okay what's he gonna say to us what's he gonna say to us and the only thing he gets out is ditto and then they all start laughing because like they just called their magic trick shit and took five minutes for the kid to agree that their magic trick sucked um about that time another kid starts wheeling past in a wheelchair berating a nurse for being late once again with his roommate and friend's medications and the nurse is like, I can't give his medication to you. You are unauthorized. You cannot give it to him. And he's like, yo, lady, I've been here longer than you. I've been here longer than any of you. That gives me some rights around here. And the nurse just kind of like sighs. And she's like, I'm going to go get the medicine right now. And then the kid turns his attention onto the animorphs. And he goes, well, who's the show here? You or us? Which was a pretty badass line. Uh. Um, since this kid just kind of derailed the animorphs so badly they just kind of wander aimlessly like following people around like james is the kid that berated them and who yelled at the nurse and they're like what do we do and they like see him go into his room and talk to pedro his roommate who is like very very paralyzed somehow um and finally it's colette that takes some pity on them and introduces herself and the kids introduce themselves back and they're like yo why is everybody so full of attitude up here And Colette's like, well, most of us are abandoned by our friends and family. And it's kind of like being, you know, the cats and the kittens are downstairs. Everybody's like, yay, kids who are paralyzed, they're fun. And we're kind of the not so fun adult ones that nobody wants. And they're like, okay, great. And then she goes, yeah, like, you know, take James there. You know, he seems really kind of aloof and like doesn't want to talk to you. But really, he was hit by a drunk driver when he was four and his mom brought him here to be operated on and never came back. Fuck. (laughs) And Marco's just like, okay, attitude earned. Got Mm. it. (laughs) Um, James kind of appears at that moment and wheels past them. It's not really clear as to whether or not he heard Colette telling a story and uh, they watch him, like, wheel away, and she explains, like, oh, there's another common area back there that was quieter, and he spends a lot of time there. And she she brings up at this moment that he's he kind of rules the roost around here. He sticks up for the kids. He's not really super close to any of them, but, like, he, he doesn't let shit go down in his ward. And they're like, all right, that's our man right there. Uh, then somebody starts calling Colette. She kind of, like... She's like, okay, like, really quickly, here's everybody. Here's, like, Kelly. There's Timmy, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, what's up with you? She's like, I, you know, I love skiing. I'm a really intense skier. I'm only here because I got, you know, injured temporarily and I needed surgery on my knees. It's fine. And then she, like, rolls away to play cards. But as she's leaving, she winks at Marco and says, stop by before you leave. And as soon as she was out of earshot, right? (laughs) Well, that leads to this moment where as soon as she was out of earshot, Jake's like, so she's a recent addition. She could be a controller. And Marco's like, she's too cute to be a controller. And she winked at me. (laughs) And Marco's... (laughs) And Jake's like, don't worry about the babes. Life probably isn't going to be long enough for it to matter anyways. And Marco goes, hey. And Jake 
like backtracks and he actually apologizes sincerely and he's like i'm really sorry i said that and marco just kind of reaches out and goes it's okay man it all gets to us sometimes oh shit one of my favorite jake marco moments in a long time yeah oh my god yeah i loved that so much um so now the kids approach james in his private common area (laughs) and jake tells james everything about the yurks about visor one about the invasion about morphing about everything and james's expression doesn't change once through this entire thing as soon as jake finishes telling his story james is like cute dude super cute why don't you go back to your school and tell all of your shitty friends that playing pranks on the kids at the rehab center isn't fucking funny? So, like, bye, dude. Goodbye. And Jake just goes, you know what, man? I don't give a shit if you don't believe me. It's your fucking funeral. And Marco and Cassie are like, whoa, Jake. Whoa. Dude. Whoa. (laughs) And James is kind of like, whatever. I don't have to deal with this. He starts to roll away. And Jake grabs him. like grabs his arm and says wait and james goes don't touch me and then takes jake's arms and just flips him onto the (laughs) ground don't touch me man and don't touch me (laughs) cassie is just like overwhelmed by this whole scene like she is just like what 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 is happening like first jake's a dick and then james flips him on the ground and all this shit's happening and i don't know what to (laughs) do I just don't know what's going on. Also, also, like, she kept saying that James had really nice hair. Oh, yeah. She did mention the wavy golden hair many times. Real good hair. Mark that down. James, real good hair. (laughs) Everybody got that? She kept bringing it up, and I was like, I don't understand where this is going. It doesn't go anywhere. I mean, she mentions it again, and I wrote it down that time, but, like, it doesn't really mean anything. I just thought it was weird. Anyway. It wasn't like her aboriginal boyfriend that she oh, yeah. loved, whose name I've, I've also lost forgotten. to time. Um, so at this point, Jake is getting up. He's exasperated. And he's just like, fuck it. I'm going for it. And Marco's like, yeah, dude, you got to go for it. So he starts morphing Tiger. And it's like a really weird morph sequence. Like his throat is the first thing to morph, which is fucking weird. Have we ever seen that before? <laughs> Like, I don't ever remember anybody saying, like, oh, his throat expanded and turned orange, and the rest of him was still a boy. Hooray! (laughs) It was super fucking weird. And it's not like he growls or anything or makes any sort of reason why his throat morphed first. It just happened. Jake morphs to a tiger in front of him, and James is just like, I gotta get a doctor. You're fucked up. Or maybe I'm fucked up. One of us is fucked up. I need a doctor. And... They're like, no, you can't go get a doctor. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll just continue to watch this shit show then. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And uh, at the very end, Colette walks in and she's like, cool, a tiger. Even all the cool magic shows I've seen couldn't have snuck a tiger past the front desk. Can I pet it? Can I pet it? Tiger King just flashing through my head. All of Tiger (sighs) King happening to me. Yeah, speaking of tigers. So uh, Jake's a tiger. Colette's impressed. She wants to pet it, and James is like, wait, you can see this tiger too? And she's like, yeah, dude, it's a fucking tiger. And Jake's like, Colette's like, I'm gonna go get the others, and Jake's like, don't go. One doctor, controller, will blow this whole thing. And Colette's like, who's talking? Who's the ventriloquist? Why? What's going on? I didn't know you could do that. 
And she keeps going until Marco's like, okay, whoa, 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 let's start over from the beginning. <laughs> so they do. And Colette's like, I want in. I love crazy shit. And <laughs> I want to morph animals. <laughs> oh my God. I just, I feel like it's like the Animorphs looking in a mirror. Yeah. Yeah. During these scenes, I was like, oh, and here's like, you know, pseudo Jake. And here's pseudo Rachel. Yeah. Bizarro. That's Bizarro. Yeah. Bizarro Jake. Bizarro, Bizarro Rachel. <laughs> Bizarro. Bizarro. I love you. Bizarro. Okay. Um. <laughs> Uh. Okay. So anyways, uh, Colette's like, I'm in. And James is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, this isn't just about turning into animals. And he's like, it's about so much more. It's about Jake. Tell her what's it about. <laughs> and Jake's like, okay. And he goes through it again with Colette. And then he says to James, are you going to go and tell the others and recruit them? And James goes, why? Why, why do you want us? Why do you want, like, us kids? And there's this pause because they just don't know how to tell them that, like, oh, well, the aliens deemed you useless, so we thought you'd be good here. (laughs) And the best that Cassie came up with was, the Yerks are jerks. Sick. (laughs) They're sick burns. And James just is flat out like, no, no. Just because you and no one else values our lives doesn't mean that we don't value our own lives. You can fuck right off. Like... It's one thing to put my life in danger, but the rest of them, no, absolutely not. And this is when Cassie, like, she kneels down to get on James's level, and every fiber of her being is protesting against what she's saying. But she launches into this speech about, like, what you're doing to those kids is exactly what everybody is doing to you. They're underestimating you, and you're underestimating them. By not allowing them to fight this battle and come into their own and contribute, you're not allowing them to fight for this world. That's theirs too. And they should help save it for their own future. You know, they have just as much right to be here as anybody else. And she's like going on and on about this and saying like, you're denying them all of this. You're denying them the right to fight. And they're just as capable as anybody else. And once she finishes her speech, James thinks for a moment and then he goes, okay, I'll do it. But I have two conditions. I pick my own team, you have no input into this, and Pedro gets to morph. He's been trapped on his back forever, paralyzed like that, and he deserves two hours of freedom. And it was like, this whole thing, this was just so intense, this whole scene of like, Cassie manipulating him, and like... (sighs) Well, and she's like the most against this plan. Yeah, and she just like flip-flop she was like fuck it i'm gonna like throw myself in yeah it's like this is her version of doing what she has to do yeah absolutely this is that's exactly what it is still don't like it but i don't like it at all it's like it's almost like a really it's almost like the bookend to the front books when we spent the first like six or seven books explaining why everybody had a reason to fight and to get into this war and now that we're at the end it's like we're watching them unravel like we're watching like jake want to give up and rachel having to face killing david tobias getting his mom back and like kind of it feels like he's checked out in this book honestly um and now cassie we're watching her kind of unravel yeah oh my god it's really hard to watch (laughs) It is. It's and she's I I don't want to say she's the hardest to watch unravel, but she has the longest 
yeah. period of unraveling. Yeah, well, and, like, she's so, she strives to be so, like, ethically correct, and she struggles at the whole series, and, Mm -hmm. like, this almost feels like the biggest departure for what she's supposed to believe in. Yeah. Like, she's going, like, the exact opposite direction, almost. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but. No, I, that's. Yeah, it definitely feels like she has... This is where we finally see, like, how kind of twisted she's become or can become or can reason in her own head. And it almost feels like a bigger betrayal than any time where she's in battle. Because it's not like she's in battle a ton in this book at all. Right. In fact, it's pretty rare. So it it seems like, oh, when she's, like, tearing out the throat of a hork we should feel like that's way worse than this moral shit that's going on. But it doesn't feel like that to her at all. It feels like, oh, this is fucking way worse than anything she's ever done before. Well, and why does this feel more gross than when Rachel had to commit murder? Is it because Rachel really didn't want to and she was, like, con- heavily considering not? Or, like, like what? How is this worse, you know? like uh, That's a really difficult question that I hadn't considered. And like, you know, how is how is this worse than Axe willing to nuke a whole city? That's just a numbers game. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a trolley problem. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. I maybe in a way it's because with Axe it was a faceless mass that was dying. With Rachel it was the most hated enemy that right. wasn't giving her a choice and was forcing her into this. And with Cassie, it's completely innocent people that she's manipulating that we know their story and have feelings for in a way. Like, what happens right before this is we find out that James has been totally abandoned by his family, hit by a drunk driver at the age of four and is stuck in a wheelchair. Like, we have sympathy for him, and we don't dislike him at this point in the books because he's, you know, bizarro Jake. So we immediately have that, like, he's a leader. He's kind of like Jake. We have this repertoire. Yeah. He and now up Cassie for the other is kids doing. And yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we already know he's, like, in quotes, a good guy. Right. And now Cassie's doing this, like, insane manipulation tactic to get a bunch of paraplegics to join a war and become cannon fodder for the Animorphs. Like, yeah. This is, like, you know, it doesn't feel good. No. And. It's not worse than murdering David, but <laughs> it feels worse than murdering David. <laughs> I think. I mean, yeah. It's again. It's like we don't like David. Like he's a, just. Ugh. I'd murder him myself if I had. <laughs> I know. It's like we can't. <laughs> it's it's hard to compare because David is such a repulsive being, and these kids are not, and. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <sighs> but we can talk more about murdering David later because <laughs> I really want <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really, it's not a good comparison at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, so anyways. Uh, da, 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 da. They bring in Kelly and Timmy. They go through the whole dog and pony show again. But this time, they're forced to do a repertoire of morphs before they will be believed. Because Colette was like, one and done. The other kids are like, no, now do this one. Now do this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But once they believed that it was an actual thing and not like a magic trick, they're they're super excited. They're like, this is our ticket out of here. This is awesome. And Jake 
immediately shuts him down. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not your ticket out of here. You will need to stay here and continue on as if nothing has happened so as not to blow your cover. We cannot let on to the fact that we're doing this. And then um, they they kind of have this, like, they're a little more downtrodden, but they're like, oh, it's like a secret mission. Still cool. Yay. And Jake goes, yeah, here's the other thing. We're not totally sure how the technology works with humans. It's a lot less, you know, robust with Andalites. With humans, there's more reactions, but also you might be healed and you have to pretend that you're still disabled. And they're all like, fuck. (laughs) Um, But Timmy jumps in immediately. He's like, as long as it's for good. Uh, And that's um, the kid with cerebral palsy. So it took him a while to get out, but they translated for him and he's in. And then James says something to Colette, like, you know, you, you're probably going to be cured since you were just injured in a skiing accident. And this is when Colette looks really stricken for just a minute. And then she goes, it wasn't in an accident. And she tells him she's been a paraplegic since birth. And Timmy lets out this high whistle of laughter. And everybody lets on that they all knew they'd all just been like, you know, humoring her and her crazy skiing story. They'd all seen her chart. They knew she had been paralyzed since birth, so... You know. Um, And then Colette says, well, I still want in if you'll have me, even though I lied. And Jake went to answer and then, per his arrangement, paused and looks at James. And James goes, yeah, we'll still have you. And then Marco goes, fantastic, and produces a sad crippled pigeon from his cape with a flourish. And then it poops on him. (laughs) (laughs) Which was great. So we cut to the kids in their pigeon morph and they are going insane like barrel rolls flopping around flying around the roof like crazy and timmy is just like i didn't write it down because i know i wouldn't be able to say it but he does that like rubber baby buggy bumpers thing and like just alliterating all these words and then he's like do you know what like the worst thing ever is it's having a huge vocabulary and not being able to talk and he's just like chit-chatting and flying around and like enjoying thought speak and the others are all like i can't believe we're flying this is great and after a few minutes of this jake's like okay guys like let's rein it in we gotta act like real pigeons to stay undetected and they don't they like kind of do it and then james is like guys chill and they immediately like fall into line oh so they fly out to the gardens to get some battle power and when they land jake privately speaks to cassie and marco and he goes watch them this is it so they start demorphing, and as they emerge, Cassie was horrified, which I imagine this hit her especially hard as an estrine to watch, like, these kids demorph. And instead of even just, like, the normal, like, morphing is kind of gross, it's like they're coming out of it, and, like, they are not healed. Like, Timmy is still stuck in this, like, fetal position and, like, really kind of crippled and atrophied, and Colette comes out of it, and she's kind of, like, holding herself up, staring at legs that won't move, and she doesn't have a wheelchair um kelly tries to stand up but then she like falls coughing she can't breathe and then they all look over at james who has this like cinematic emergence where he stands up for the first time on these legs that haven't worked since he is four years old and he's like broader chested than jake and taller than jake and he has like flowing hair and oh my his God. legs are working like <laughs> it's just this weird like terminator emergence yeah. scene <laughs> oh And uh, they're all watching him, like, completely in awe that he's healed. 
And then Timmy's the one that asks if he's leaving. And James comes over to him and kneels down and says, we're a team, we stick together. And then he looks at Jake almost in tears and goes, now what? And then we get to this chapter that the first half of it was like one of the most like crazy switches in narration but super effective where Cassie all of a sudden instead of like we're telling a story where we're in it we're living it we're seeing it from Cassie's perspective Mm -hmm. she just goes we spent a really long night acquiring dangerous animals and I have no clue how we got in there we had to carry the new recruits in and out of cages with dangerous animals I don't know how we didn't get caught I don't know how no one saw us it was insane it was a miracle that nobody saw it and honestly this whole situation just tells you exactly how desperate we were at this moment and like she leaves it at that and then like we go back into the story but like she just got this little like narrative tick where she got to be like we were so desperate that we did all of these things that we would never normally risk yeah so it was it was effective but like definitely jarring while you're reading it um, so they they continue on doing this plan, taking these insane risks. They spend the next few nights recruiting, and in the end, they get 17 new recruits from this rehab center. Damn. 23 Animorphs. Damn! Um, they are more hopeful than they've been in a long time. And the core team meets up to discuss everything that had happened, and now Axe has some questions about them. He's like... So when they demorph, they're all physically helpless outside of morphing. And Jake's like, yes, all but three who had recovered. And Axe is like, well, that's going to be a problem. And Marco's like, what are you saying, Axe? What are you saying? You know, here on Earth, every human has value. And Axe goes, if they all had value, then why are they kept separate and away from the rest of society? And Axe, (laughs) Cassie's like, leave it to Axe to find the ugly truth. (laughs) But she doesn't contribute because she's, like, just exhausted. And then there's this moment where Axe doesn't keep pushing instead he goes jake is my prince and i will follow him and jake goes thanks axe that means a lot and like this is this moment where like this is the most redemption we've kind of seen since the axe book where he stole the fighter pilot like this was very understated but it was it felt very monumental yeah Mm -hmm. and i like Especially coming from the Gefinolin and Myrtle book, where he spent the entire book being like, oh, Myrtle's a fecal, he's fucking useless, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, part of me expected him to be like, oh, yeah, these people are useless, like, let's not do this, this is, like, stupid, or blah, blah, blah. And just, like, saying all this bad shit, but, like, he kind of didn't, like, he didn't, it's not like he made a full 180 mm-hmm. on his opinion, but I thought he... I don't know what I'm trying to say. It It's not like what he was saying was like, oh, like they shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. what do we do with somebody who is physically helpless and they have to pass through that body to get to another morph? Like yeah. that is a tactical issue. Yeah. So I like, I still appreciated that Marco kind of like jumped on it. To, yeah. Like, still argue. Cause I love that Marco has that, but like, I think Axe also had a very good point of like, sometimes we're running like sometimes we're just running away from battle in human morph trying to get somewhere else yeah. and what do you do with the person that has to stop like this is we're talking about like for a demorph and a remorph we're talking like what four to six minutes yeah. of non-movement yeah like that could be a problem yeah so but that's i could see it from both sides yeah but that's what i'm saying like he wasn't 
he wasn't pointing it out like this was yeah yeah you know what yeah. I'm trying to say. <laughs> I do I do I do know what you're trying to say um mm-hmm. which I appreciated because I got really mad at him in <laughs> the Fiddle and Immortal book as we remember <laughs> for being really mean me too he was really mean in that book and Gefinolin and Myrtle were so good. Yes. Oh, I wonder if they'll come back before the end. We will find out one day. <laughs> um, so also what I appreciated um, is the uh, the continuity about like what kids were able to recover versus the kids that weren't. Um, mm-hmm. Because I was I was just looking up like which of their conditions were genetic. And, like, cystic fibrosis is genetic, and paraplegia can be genetic. Um, cerebral palsy doesn't sound like it's genetic, but it does. It is a brain injury. So okay. that, that keeps in line with, like, because um, Lauren's brain was injured and she has amnesia, she wasn't able to morph out of that. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that, that that lore and that those rules are still in place. Yeah, that's really interesting, because normally this is kind of where... Some of the laws fall apart in these books. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Book 47. I don't know what one you're talking about. <laughs> oh, I get it. It was a joke. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It took me a minute. <laughs> That's because we erased it so well. Um, they finally tell Toby what the fuck they're doing. And Toby is not enthused, but she voted to back up Jake. And she is nothing if not loyal. So she backs him up. And while they're talking about that, Axe approaches with this printout of a school for the blind. And he's like, this could be our next target. This would be great. Like, let's go. And if we go tonight, we can start recruiting. And they hear this rustle in the trees nearby. And Cassie's dad emerges from some brush. And he's like, I was out getting some air. And uh, I overheard some shit. And I want you to tell me right now that I didn't overhear what I just overheard. And... This is this really weird moment because he wants this explanation of what they're doing. And he's asking, like, you know, I'm your dad. You'll tell me what you were doing out here, blah, blah, blah. And Jake doesn't answer him. Instead, Jake just kind of squares up, like straightens his back, squares his shoulders. And he said, I will be over here discussing this with Toby and like walks away. And Cassie watches him and like notices that he's standing straighter. He's like, you know, he doesn't feel the need to answer to Cassie's dad. He's not the authority. And she sees on his face this look that reminds her of when Rachel's getting really into a mission and putting it before everything else, or when Tobias is about to catch a mouse. And she's like, I hate it. I hate what's happening. So Cassie is left to explain to her dad what the fuck is happening. And she's like, listen, dad, you, you don't realize we don't have a choice. We have to do this. This is the, the best plan that we have and we have to move forward with it. And he's like, you always have a choice. Everybody has a choice. And he looks at her like he realized for the first time that not only is evil in the world and in his own backyard, but it was in his child. Oh. And this hit Cassie so hard that she's trying to argue and she could hear it. She could hear that her dad sounded exactly like her but like the old her before she became how she was now. And so instead of answering and instead of having this philosophical argument with him, she just turned and started walking away and starts morphing to Osprey or to, yeah, to Osprey. And um, she's getting out of there and her dad calls after her and she just continues walking away and morphing. 
And soon enough, the others join her. They're flying loosely together on their way to the school for the blind. And Cassie's replaying this conversation with her dad in her head. And the guilt is just eating away at her. She's having another, like, my heart's beating. I don't feel good. And then she thinks, what if I never saw him again? What if the camp gets attacked tonight? And this was the last interaction we had. And so she actually tries to turn around. And Jake stops her and says, what do you think you're doing? She's like, I'm going back. I got to talk to my dad. And Jake goes, you can't just do that. This isn't how this works, Cassie. Like, come on. And she gets really upset and she wants to cry. She says she would be crying if she weren't a bird. And then she wonders if this is how Jake feels all the time. Wee. So now we get to the school for the blind. We have the whole team there because there's a second team now. I don't know, but everybody went. And it does not take long to infiltrate this place. Within 15 minutes, they were in there discussing how to show blind people morphing because, like, they couldn't watch it happen and, like, trying to figure out a way around that. And as they sneak into the room, this one blind girl sits up and asks, who's there? And Rachel went over to her. And, like, Rachel has this kind of sweet moment where she's talking really softly, saying, like, don't be scared. Like, I'm, I'm just here because I need some help. And... She's, like, starting to, like, talk to her and recruit here, and, like, they're working with her. Axe is guarding the door. Like, there's some other stuff happening. And Cassie just cannot shake the feeling that they're being watched. So Cassie's, like, kind of looking around. She goes to Owl, trying to scout anything out. She can't see anything. She goes to Fly, and that's when she spots it. There's this red pinprick of light. And she immediately goes, everybody out, we're being watched. And a split second later, the door smashes open. They're completely taken by surprise by this entire group of blue band hork And then once they've kind of almost been stopped, because they really can't fight with all these kids in the room, that's when Tom steps in and demands the cube from Jake. And he starts like telling the kids, just go back to bed. It's a prank. We'll take care of this, blah, blah, blah. And they, they're their hands are tied, right? Because they're not going to have this battle with all of these, like, very, like, vulnerable people around them. And so Jake hands Tom the cube, and the only one who's not immediately taken by the work are Cassie, who's still in fly morph, and they leave the room. As soon as they're out of there, Tom smacks Jake across the face no. and starts screaming at no, him. No, don't hit Jake. Yeah, he punched him right in the face. Yeah, he starts uh, yelling at him, saying, all this time it was you in my own house under my own nose. Visor One almost starved me to death because of you. And then he tells the hork to take him to the loading dock and inform Visor One they have bandits and a cube. And then Tom says, by the way, the the host parents, po- blah, 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 my host body's parents were given to low-ranking yurks so they can be killed without issue if any of you act up. Dun-dun-dun. <coughs> Dun-dun-dun. Um... Cassie motors out of there, goes to Owl, gets to the rehab center, gets James, and she's like panicking, leaving everybody behind, but she knows her only chance is to get the reinforcements and get back there as fast as possible. So she like is kind of flying, doing a flyby past the windows and wakes up James with thought speak, and he throws the covers off, jumps into the wheelchair, tells Pedro, I'll let you know what's going on soon, I gotta go. And he starts rousing his troops and gathering them all together. And they eventually get into Timmy's room where all 17 of them are standing there. And James goes, okay, it's go time. And they were all caught by surprise. Like, and, and Timmy's the one that tries to say it's so soon. And James is like, I know, I know it's really soon, but it's like, you know, we got to go. So he orders them to transit morphs. And about half of them got to bird. And like the other half just went fucking buck wild. <laughs> like, 
Walrus, baboon. Why would you get a walrus? Why would you even get a walrus? Why? There's no. (laughs) No. There's no reason to have a walrus morph ever. There's no need. There's none. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) I'm glad um, we had the same reaction. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I was like, that's fucking useless. I feel like that was just in there for the joke. I feel like it was one of those things where she's like, that's my favorite animal. Please, please, oh, yeah, please yeah, yeah. let me get one. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and they're like, well, it's not exactly the most dangerous to go into, so You can have I it guess. for shits and giggles. Yeah, well, maybe we'll need to go into the Arctic one day again. <laughs> I mean, they. I, hey, that could have been the train of thought. They've been there once. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they, yeah. But Dave, uh, yeah. Um, James is like, fucking get it together. And they do. <laughs> then James says to Cassie lead the way and Cassie is very strangely proud of her new recruits here and so she leads them back to the school for the blind and Cassie's freaking because she had spotted Visor One's limo speeding towards them and she says it's about time to fight and there's going to be hork there's going to be weapons you're going to be scared but we have to win and Cassie watches as they all start demorphing, and most of them are falling and stumbling and coughing and incapacitated, and one boy started morphing in a way where he couldn't support himself, and he fell over and smashed his head on a rock. And there's various murmurs that, like, the kids are like, we don't know how to fight. Like, we've been in wheelchairs our whole lives. We've never been in a fight before. And one of them's like, I don't condone guns. Like, what is that? <laughs> I don't approve of guns. Can I leave? <laughs> Yeah, he was basically like, I don't like guns. Do we have to do this now? And as Cassie sees all of these like kids just freaking in front of her, she goes, holy shit, my dad was right. This is cruel. This is wrong. And she goes to James and she goes, get them back to Bird Morph. Get out of here. Leave now. Go as fast as possible. And James just goes, no, that's that's not going to happen. So he stands up and he goes, you guys all know how to fight. You fought every single day of your lives. And they start protesting, saying, that's different. That's, you know, that's that's for us. That's like, you know, that's not in a battle, in a fist fight. And James goes, no, it, it wasn't. It's the exact same thing. And now it's time to go to your battle morphs, and we're going to show everybody what we can do. And with that, they're encouraged enough to get into their battle morphs. And there's this, like, really kind of sweet weirdly sweet moment where kelly goes to her buffalo morph there's an alligator morph one of the kids chose to go gorilla because he liked marco and there is an elephant morph that rachel had been really jealous that somebody else got an elephant (laughs) it's it's really it's really sweet and uh we find out timmy got a bobcat morph and then we find out that james had picked a lion and Jake said nothing to anybody, but there was a bunch of looks amidst the other team members when he picked the lion, and Jake said nothing but good choice, and Cassie admitted that when she watched him morph that it it fit him. It didn't fit David, but it fit him. Oh, I love this. I loved it so much. It's just an echo of David, like, like they they picked the wrong person the the first time and now they've absolutely picked the right person and it's just like oh it's such a good comparison oh it's so good and i loved 
that Jake was the one that had no reaction except to say good choice Ugh. and moving right along. Like, don't don't condemn the morph because yeah. of what happened to I just, I love that. Well, and especially because it was Jake who had to fight David in the lion morph. Like, he has, that probably haunts him the most. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. And that he lost to David in the lion yeah. morph. So he's watching, like, a second time is like, Oh, you have the morph that might best me. Even though scientifically the tiger always right, wins. Right. But um no, it like in his head it's like you have the morph that can best me and that is, you know, and he's not showing jealousy, he's not showing any of that. Whereas Rachel is like, You picked my elephant, fuck you. <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I, I don't think that's yeah, yeah, probably what yeah. she no, said, no, no. but like yeah, yeah. So Two funny. very different reactions. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. That was good. I was really skeptical about the Bobcat morph. Yeah. I was like, why? It's so like, you know, bobcats are fierce, but like they're really small. Like, what's the reasoning? But then it was all fine. As it, we'll find out. It was out. all fine. Um, the final moment here is that once they're all in their battle morphs, James looks at Cassie and says, are you going to fight with us? And Cassie morphs to wolf. So, James, they go to the ramp up to the loading dock. And James goes, hey, guys, we're not disabled anymore. There's no reason to wait to let people open doors for us. And with that, Kelly rams into the doors of Buffalo and just leaves this huge fucking dent. And then, like, backs off where this girl named Judy, who's the one who had the elephant morph, just, like, crumbles through the rest of it. And they all pour into this loading dock, confronting Tom and his hork And they start fighting. And, like, they are just, like, throwing themselves into battle with reckless abandon. Um, the very first casualty is a not-too-bad scrape on Colette's back. And Colette has chosen her uh, alligator morph. That's her thing. And she gets cut and like freezes and Cassie goes, it's okay. It's okay. You'll heal when you demorph. And with that, Colette just turns around and throws herself back into battle. Like, oh, I'll be good then. Okay, great. And just like <laughs> launches. I love that. I loved it so much. Colette's awesome. Yeah, she's a total badass. Uh, and then Tom takes his gun and levels it at Timmy, who's the bobcat. And uh, it's James that yells, watch out. And Timmy just very calmly goes, I got this. And does this graceful leap and lands like squarely on Tom's chest, knocking him down and then grabs at his wrist and bites it, which caused uh, Tom to drop the gun. And then in the smartest move, maybe of all time, Timmy just bats it away so nobody can reach it. Yeah, this is what I was like. Okay, Bobcat. It works. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. Um, So in this tussle, the morphing cube had tumbled out of Tom's pocket and James saw it. He leaps in and he grabs it and then he disappears for a few moments and goes to hide it. Now the OG Animorphs are starting to morph and Axe is starting to take down his captors. James reappears and Jake goes, where's the cube? And James said, it's safe. And Jake said, get it. It shouldn't be out of our sight. And not a moment later, Visor One's limo screeched up here and he gets out of it already demorphing to Andalite. And as he walks in, he's just going to Tom and saying, where's the cube? And Tom goes, I just had it. It was it was right around here. It's they it's just in the tussle. It was right in my hand. And Visor One's like, ah, even more reason to be ashamed if it was in your hand. You shouldn't have fucking lost it then. And he's just continuing to berate and threaten him. And he doesn't notice as he's walking into the middle of this room that all of the teams of 
the Animorphs is surrounding him. And Cassie has this moment where she looks around at like all of these 23 battle morphs surrounding Vizzer 1. And Cassie goes, finally, it's starting to look like a fair fight. Nice. Ah, so good. So the fight continues. Vizzer 1 engages Axe and they're actually tail fighting and... Axe is holding his own. In fact, do, doing a little better. Yeah, doing a little better than holding his own. I fucking love this so much. And he's like taunting him a little bit too. He's like, oh, you've lost your touch, Vizzer. And like, oh! Yeah. Like he's, oh, he's doing so good. Axe is killing it. Oh. I loved this. I love this a lot. Yes. So Axe is fighting him and taunting him, and then Jake joins in just to help out. And Vizzer One starts going, oh, it's going to take more than one of you to engage me, even though he wasn't doing well on his own. <laughs> you piece of shit, Vizzer One. Vizzer One's such a fucking... <sighs> so then Vizzer One looks around, he goes, do my eyes deceive me, or are there many of many more of you than usual? And Jake's like, there's always been many of us. And Vizzer One's like, tell me how many and I'll let you live. And Jake goes, let Tom's host parents go and I'll let you live. And Vizzer One starts laughing. He's like, I know the tiger is Tom's brother. That's, you can't fool me. Um, And at this point, Vizzer One starts to morph some beast. And Cassie lets out this warning like, all right, guys, it's about to get way fucking worse. But her attention is drawn to Kelly, who's in her buffalo morph. And she was in the direct path of Tom's dragon beam. So he shoots her and hits her in the side and she spins because she's like spinning towards the source of the pain. And as she did that, it allowed a taxon to get in and latch onto her and it's starting to eat her. And Cassie rushes over, but Marco beats her there, slamming into the taxon and sending him flying. Kelly was bleeding profusely. And as they get closer to her, they realize just how bad that Draken beam wound was. And she is bleeding it profusely like all over the ground pooling out of her and she is dying so they're standing over her watching her die behind them Vizzer one is more of some giant tentacle monster and he's like whipping them all he's wrapped his main tentacle around jake's head and is slowly pulling him in and people are kind of trying to fight him and he's knocking them aside with these vines and whipping and lashing and gaining the upper hand and Cassie described it as his vines were were pulling all of the battle into him as the center of it. Oh my god. Um I know. You tentacle so loving intense. piece of crap. <laughs> He's all about the tentacles and the necks. Uh so the only thing Cassie can focus on though is Kelly. And Marco's there, he's fighting off the taxon while Kelly's bleeding out, and Cassie's saying to her demorph, and Kelly's like, no, and she's barely alive. And she goes, I don't want them finding out who I am. I don't want to ruin this plan. And Cassie goes, it doesn't matter. Worry about that later. Demorph now. And she's like bleeding and oozing out. And then she just goes completely still. And Cassie gets this urge to like let out this howl of anguish over her dying. And then Marco turns around and says, she's doing it. And sure enough, she was starting to shrink and demorph. And she was recovering. And as soon as she's getting to her small human self, Marco grabs her and runs, saying, I'll be back. Cassie turns to the battle at this moment, and it's just in time to see Tobias, who is gouging out Vizzer One's eyes, get slammed into a metal wall. He gets hit with a tentacle, slammed into a metal wall, falls to the ground and crumples. And she rushes over and grabs him in her mouth. 
and takes him out of there. And when they were a little ways away, she goes, morph something, demorph, and fly to camp. You have to evacuate everybody. So Cassie runs back into the battle. Jake's throat was being crushed to the point where like little noises of like wind coming through his windpipe and it being crushed out of him are coming out and making these like really kind of like pathetic squeak noises. And Rachel and James are throwing themselves against Visor One, only be pushed back by more tentacles. Jake was choking and dying and suffocating, and then suddenly he was free because one of the hork had slashed off a tentacle holding him, and they're like, oh my god, the Yerk Peace movement is alive and well. There's no time at all to ferret out the traitor because the stump that was now, the, the stump that was formerly the tentacle that was choking Jake started gushing out whatever blood and guts this creature has everywhere and the taxon just start descending on Visor one and the hork are trying to fight off the taxon so he could demorph and it's chaos and so jake just goes everybody out run get out of here and cassie goes jake the cube because she spotted tom holding the cube and a draken beam and tom is kind of looking between Visor one and the cube with these crazed eyes before he turns and takes off into the woods Cassie also notices a flash of yellow. It was the tiger eyes watching him. And then Jake took off. Cassie has a moment to make her decision and she runs into the woods after them. She's watching as Jake is stalking his own brother to kill him. He's running after Tom. And Tom must have heard something behind him because he shoots over his shoulder and he hits Jake. But that doesn't slow Jake down at all. So Tom runs again for a while and then stops and shoots at Jake again, hitting him in the back leg. Cassie goes, okay, it's over. We don't have to worry about this anymore. And then Jake hauls up his 700 pound cat body on three legs and keeps running after Tom. Cassie just trails him from behind until she sees how this is gonna go down. And finally Tom stops and turns around with the Draken beam saying, I'll kill you, I'll do it. And Jake leans back on his haunches, ready to spring at Tom, and Cassie darts out and bites down on Jake's good leg. Jake whirls around, strikes her, leaving her with these huge gashes on her side. He's knocked her senseless. She's like in pain, battered, laying on the ground. But she had stopped Jake from killing his brother. And she realized that at this moment, they had nothing to show for this battle but their lives and the ability to fight another day. We cut to the camp where every one of them had made it home safely. They heard from James that they were safe. Cassie didn't know how, but after 12 hours of Jake ignoring her, she decided to confront him. He tried to walk away from her, and she kind of ran after him, grabbed his sleeve, and he ripped it out of her grasp away from her. And she said, I was trying to save you. And he you know, you could have been hurt. And he's like, well, then why didn't you go after Tom? You weren't hurt. You could have run after him. You could have chased him into the woods. You could have got the cue back. What the fuck were you thinking? And Cassie didn't answer. She didn't know why she couldn't answer, but she thought she was doing the right thing. And she still believed she did the right thing. And that is how this book ends. Uh, Oh boy. Oh boy. Tell me what you thought. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, not how I expected that to shake out. How did you expect that to shake out? Um, I was, like, I knew it was going to be something 
it was going to be a choice she had to make, and whatever choice she made was going to greatly jeopardize their standing in the war. That's all I knew, but I thought whatever she did was going to more directly involve a betrayal of Rachel. Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't know why I internalized this so much. Like, I think it's because I internalized that, like, you got really mad at Cassie, like, very, very early on. But then I remember you said that, like, this is how a, a large part of the Animorphs community feels. So I guess there was no reason for me to think it was about Rachel <laughs> directly, but, like, I kind of did. I kind of thought it was going to be, like... Like, she had to make a choice between, like, Jake and Rachel or, like, her parents and Rachel. And then, like, she was either going to, like, sell Rachel out or, like, do something else that would, you know, betray her or, you know, inhibit her somehow. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could definitely see. That makes sense now that you say it, that you would you would think that. Yeah. Well, and just because, like, we've been, you know, speculating, it's like, okay, we always feel the friendship from Rachel's end, but not necessarily from Cassie's end, and we kind of think Cassie <laughs> thinks Rachel is coming, becoming this monster, and then, yeah, I don't know. That's just how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't what I expected, and at first, I think I was just so shocked, and I think I was... I had hyped it up so much that I felt a little underwhelmed at first, but the longer I had to sit with it, the more I was like, this transpired in a way that is so much like better than I ever could have imagined. It's so complex. There's so much going on. And I just want to talk about it. Yeah. And rereading this now, there's this sense of betrayal, but I almost felt nothing at it because... I was going to say, you really have to, like, sit with it. And once, like, you start to see the repercussions, that's when, like, that anger really builds for me. Yeah. She could have so easily gotten the cue back. Yeah. And it, with how many close calls they've they've had, how much more effort would it have taken to get Tom back and starve out his yerk in that moment? Yeah. And instead, she said, oh, Jake can't kill his brother. Which is really fucked because it's not okay for Jake to commit murder, but it is okay for Rachel to commit murder? Yes. So they're, okay. Here's three warring factions of thought here that I don't know how to kind of reconcile. Okay. But one is that she just did two jake what jake did to marco when marco had to kill his mom so she saw jake take that decision away she understood why he did that and she decided to take that decision away difference being of course that jake was gonna kill ava and cassie just prevented the death right when rachel had to go kill david she turned around and cassie tried to stop her and say don't do this what is this gonna do to you and rachel basically said I'm here so that you can keep being who you are. So don't fuck with me so that you can continue to be yourself. Okay. And Cassie let her go. And uh, I just have so many problems with this because at the end of it, she just says, I think what I did was right. And like, 
cool, you can feel that, but, like, this is the same situation as book 19, where it's, like, you just made Mm -hmm. this selfish, reckless, insane decision that's going to affect the rest of your team that's fucking you over. This one just got rid of the biggest edge that you had. And, yeah, you can feel in your heart, warm and fuzzy, that you did good, but the reality is you didn't. Yeah. And at least in book 19, after she let Yurk come into her head, and while the Yurk was morphing a bird and flying around, Cassie was beating herself up, being like, that was so fucking stupid. Why did I do this? I screwed my friends. And in this book, it's like, I did the right thing. Yeah. Whoa. And I mean, it's, it's just bullshit. And, like, it's it's hard to talk about it as a whole because, like, this just happened at the very end of this book and we're only talking about a small sliver of it but like it just it would have been so easy you had him alone in the woods you had the morphing cube right there it would have been so easy to do 40 other things that would have been a better outcome than this and what you chose to do was to stop jake from killing his brother so he could look at himself in the mirror the other day and like I'm debating how much of the Discord to bring into this, but I'll I'll say that <laughs> one of the things that we were talking about was somebody said that Jake would never have recovered. That's why she had to do it was to save Jake. And I think that that's a real kind of slight to his character because we've just watched him recover from losing his entire sure. family. Yeah. And he's been preparing for this whole war for this exact moment. So, yeah. I think that I think he would have continued on. He would have been able to do the job and I I think that to assume that and to create this reality where you just handed the Yerks the biggest advantage you have on a silver fucking platter mm-hmm. is just insane because you think that Jake couldn't handle it. That's he could handle it. He's handled so much worse already. He's already handled it. Like Yeah. You know, trust in him a little bit. Well, and she, throughout this book, she's like, I'm so afraid of losing Jake. I'm so afraid, like, he's going away and I'm never going to see that old Jake again, blah, blah, blah. It's like, baby, you just lost him because he's never going to trust you again. Yep. Like, you betrayed him. You betrayed everybody. Yeah. You've betrayed all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of just begs the question, like, you brought up, it's like, and Jake brought up, it's like, you could have stopped Tom. And, you, like, you said... She could have just, like, incapacitated him, brought him back to the camp, and starved out the Yurk. Yep. Did she just not think to do that? Or did she, like, on some level want to get rid of the morphing cube? Like, did, like, was she so, like, did she just detest what, using the cube to, like, give these kids this power and put them in harm's way? So, like, on some level, did she want to get rid of the cube and, like, abscond from having that responsibility in the future, you know? Yeah, and, like... That's the thing. She says that she what she thinks she did was correct. How far does that extend? How much of it? Was it just stopping Jake that was correct? Mm-hmm. Or was it getting rid of the cube that she felt was correct too? Like, there's so many levels to, like, how fucked this is. Yeah. <laughs> it kills... And, like, so much of this book... Like, I love Cassie through so much of this book. And I do like her as a character. I fucking detest this decision i think this is (laughs) one of the most reckless insane things and like 
This is one of those moments where I look at it and I go, how the fuck dare you accuse Rachel of being reckless and insane? Did you see this? Yeah. It just, this page and a half makes me so mad. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I don't know. I just can't help but feel like it was building to this though, because like, you know, we've made comments in the past. It's like, she kind of only has real eyes for Jake. Like, sh- like Jake is the one that she cares about the most. It's very obvious. It shows. So yeah. it's, I, it just kind of makes sense that like, this is the one thing that she couldn't allow. And it's incredibly selfish, but like, it all makes sense now, kind of. So yeah, I guess fuck the entire rest of the world for Jake. Okay, Neo. Yeah, it's it's not great. And now I, I know, and now I see. Now you know why I get very angry. We can we can write characters now. Let's start with Jake. Um, seven thousand stars. Agreed. So good, so complex. I believed everything that he did and said and went through and dear god and like for the character that always hides everything it's he suddenly has laid himself open for everybody and he is just as strong and compelling and awesome as he was when he was trying to hide how afraid and like unwilling he was Mm -hmm. and i love it fucking five stars so let's talk about rachel Oh, I, again, like everything she said and did, I totally believed. I totally believed she would yell at her mom and call her a fucking idiot. And yeah. And I, I wish we could have seen more of her in this book, but it makes sense that we didn't. Um, but she was great. Mm -hmm. So I say five. I say five as well. And I just want to give another shout out to that scene where Cassie said, I point blank asked Rachel if she killed David and she said she would never tell me. Such a great scene. Yes. Well, such a great line within a scene. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Tobias. Tobias. Again, not... Who wasn't really in this book. He <laughs> wasn't, but I loved him in every moment. I loved him yeah, and I'm... his mom. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm glad he's getting mom time. And he attacked Visor 3 and beefed it into a wall. As per usual. Yeah. Yeah, five. Yeah. Yeah, five for sure. Oh, let's talk about Marco. (laughs) I found myself baffled by Marco's. (laughs) I'm sorry, that was such a good word for it. What? That was like, the baffled is the perfect word for it. (laughs) He just like did the most extreme shit this whole book. Like, I was just like, why is he being so carefree in the early stages of of this book. And I'm like, maybe he's just kind of happy to have company in the Horkvajir Valley. Like maybe he's happy that everyone's like all together in, in the hiding game because he's been, hi- I don't know, but like, I couldn't figure out why, he- but he was just like, so he was the lighthearted force that we needed in this very dark book. He was. And I think a lot of it stems from his mom and dad are back. This is what he fought for. This is what he wanted. Yeah. He has it. Yeah. The minute he pulled a fucking pigeon out of his cave. <laughs> oh, and it pooped in his hand. And it pooped in his hand. I'm like, well, Marco is my soulmate. This is all there is to it. <laughs> I found this bird on the street. Here it is. 
It's my pet now. It's my pet now. This is my pigeon. Oh my god. Anyway, Marco is a good, good boy. Marco is a very good, good boy in this book. Uh, Axe. Oh, sorry. One more thing about Marco. Okay, Marco. I like that Marco got flirted with instead of him trying to flirt with somebody. I fucking love that. I love that he was so immediately taken. I know! Okay. Uh, All right, let's talk about my good, good boy. I was really mad that he barely said anything until, like, chapter nine, but that's not anyone's fault. (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot happening. Yes, there was. But, you know, I liked that he was kind of keeping watch during that big town meeting, and I loved him going toe-to-toe with Vizirwan. Oh my god, so badass. Oh. And when they were threatening to infest him with a with a higher ranking Yerk, I was like, don't you touch him. <laughs> don't touch my son. Yeah. Um, I just adored yep. him. Me too. And I, I loved that we still saw the character growth in when we were talking about like Veckles. Yeah. Yeah. You know, differently abled people and stuff. I love that growth from Yeah. Him. And him and Jake. Sorry, I totally forgot about that. Yes! Just, he's the best. He's the best. He is the best. I don't even know why I love him so much. I just do. His, because of his cinnamon buns and him staring lovingly at an M&M's ad. <laughs> I, too, adore just... junk food. <laughs> <laughs> What's not to love about Axe? I just don't even know. Okay. Cassie. <sighs> I just, I loved watching her unravel. It was so hard to watch, and I did not agree with a lot of her actions, but it, narratively, it was such a treat. Yeah, I agree. And I, I can't wait to see what her betrayal will do in the, in the upcoming books. Like, I can't wait <laughs> to see the repercussions of this. <laughs> yeah, oh. it's gonna be intense. I don't know, like... Usually I, even if I don't, like, agree with a character, but I like their growth and narratively what they've done from, like, an objective standpoint, Mm -hmm. I'll probably still give her a five with a caveat being like, you were dumb. (laughs) Five with a warning. Okay. I feel like if I give her anything other than a zero, I will really be betraying two and a half years of build up to this. <laughs> okay. Big old zero for and me. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, not that I want to be like, but surprise, bitches, I'm going to give her a five because this is such a good book. Because, like, I, it, this was an incredible book. And Cassie is an incredible character. And right up until now, I love her so much. I love a lot of her actions, even if I don't agree with it. I appreciate that she stands up for herself and how she's willing to go against the grain and willing to back out of fights if she truly doesn't believe in it and that inner strength. And you've got to love a fellow, you know, animal rehabber. And, like, there's just so much to love about her. But this decision was the biggest crock of shit anybody could have done. Like, (laughs) it's... (laughs) It would just be, like, fighting alongside somebody... For however long, just to have them like spit in your face one day for no reason. And she wasn't thinking about anybody but Jake in that moment. And that's just 
don't spend this whole book telling me that we have to be a family and a team and everything just to fucking do that to your team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm approaching my five purely from a narrative standpoint. Like, and the, okay, if I was gonna rank it by book alone and like how compelling she was yes. as a character in this book, absolutely a five. Yeah, that's for sure. That's the only approach I can yeah emotionally come from. <laughs> I can't deal with anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and five stars to all of the other kids. They were all great. I love them, and mm-hmm. I want to see more of them. And five stars to all the parents except Naomi, who gets zero. <laughs> Naomi needs to work <laughs> on her attitude a little bit. <laughs> she does. Naomi needs an attitude adjustment. Yes. Anyway, that's what I got emotionally. I think I'm out of thoughts. Okay. I am... I mean, I always have thoughts, but I... I've already towed that line tonight of wanting to dive into the next book and oh, no. that's not what we do here we're spoiler free so uh let's see if you want to tell me your thoughts on this book and cassie's decision uh if you agree with me you can send that to anonymous at gmail.com if you disagree with me you can send that right to the fucking toilet <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! This is what we've devolved into. <laughs> I'm kidding. You can send disagreements to me. I swear I'm nicer about it. Like, <laughs> for instance, when I talk about it on the Discord. Casey, help me. I don't know anything about Discord. Uh, we have a Discord. Um, I don't know how to get y'all on that unless you join the Andalite Bandalites page. But if you send us an email or a message being like, "Hey, I want to join the Discord," I don't know why I use that voice. I'm so sorry. Um, just that's your voice. Just do get over it, listener. Yeah, that's you. That's that's what you sound like. Be a <laughs> shit. Oh, sorry, <laughs> that was aggressive. Um. Anyway, if you want to get on the Discord, just add us on any of our platforms, and we'll try to get you in there. Perfect segue. You can add us on Facebook, which is just the Animorphs Anonymous group, or the Super Secret Super Awesome group, which is the Andalite Bandalites, which is facebook.com slash group slash Animorphs Anonymous. You can at me on Instagram at Animorphs Anonymous. You can at me on Twitter at Animorphs Anon. And uh, I think that's all the places you can officially at me, but you can also send an email which has an at in it, but it's not like an at like how we mean. <laughs> Casey, tell me about other things. Um, if you want to at our podcast, um, we are on <laughs> all of the podcast sites ever. So just Google us. You like how I shortened yeah. that? from? <laughs> I, I do. I like how you shorten that so much that I wish you would tell me how you could shorten my view to comic books. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I'm laughing too. <laughs> um, if you if you want to at the wonderful work that I do, oh God, no! Let me start over. If you want to at, no, please keep no. going. Struggle through it. You do wonderful work, and I want to know where to at your boys. If you want to at my boys that I drew and write about? Um, I have a web comic. It's called Beside You. You can check it out at b-s-i-d-e-y-o-u-comic.com. Please go look at it. Please look at it. It's very beautiful. And I get to see Patreon early updates. Oh, yeah. I have a Patreon. <laughs> um, if you want another podcast that's pretty lit... <laughs> 
you can come at me and my boys, Drew and David, on <laughs> Cadmus to Crisis, a Superboy podcast, which is a podcast where I'm an accidental third host for apparently more arcs than the Trials of Superman, which is news to everybody! Yay! So, um, you can come listen to me voice my new favorite character, Knockout, who I love and will continue to love forever. So, yeah, do that. So, would you say you're in love with a stripper? I am in love with a stripper. <laughs> Her name is Knockout. Yeah, I would absolutely say that. Yes. She's so badass. <sighs> all right, well, let's uh, get the fuck out of here before we make any questionable decisions that ruin all of our friends' lives. <laughs> Can't have that. All right, bye. Bye.